Cinema Jaw is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye, the movie guy, and sitting behind the glass, the man turning the knobs over there inside the fish tank is Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we turn the lights off. Yeah. As we cover our top five movie scenes in the dark. One of the hardest to research topics we have ever done. I agree. Because you type in the word dark and immediately they dark and twisted and... Or dark as in actually like they, people feeling that the scenes weren't very well lit. Right, like which is a thing. The latest uh, Game of Thrones when everybody had that complaint about, you know, it was too dark of a scene. Uh-huh. That, those are all over the internet. But actually looking about characters that are in the dark was tough to research. I'm going to agree with you there. It was very tough. But... But we did it. We did it. And we have our top five. And I have a really good top five. I'm excited to talk about Okay, it. good, because mine's crap. Helping us with that list, Matt. Believe it or not, three guests in the studio. If it's not a first, it's been an extremely long time since we've had three guests. I think it's happened once or twice before. But yes, indeed, we do. We have Megan Marie Connolly, Claudia Krogmeyer, and Nate Gilbert who all collaborated on a short film called Dear Frankie. Can't wait to talk to them. I know. I had uh, had the pleasure of meeting uh, Megan Marie and Nate at the Straight 8 Film Festival. That was the 8mm film right. fest that Elias was in. So yeah. they're also sort of behind that. So we'll also touch a little bit on the Straight 8 Film Festival. Yeah, I know Megan Marie's got some other cool projects too, so can't wait to talk to them. Wow. Besides that, even more going on, isn't there, Phil? Yeah, uh, in honor of our top five, or I guess our top five is in honor of our Eye for an Eye this week, which is scary stories to tell in the dark. And we got two reviews this week. Two. Two. Crawl and The Big Hack. Nice. Yeah. Netflix documentary. Also, there is a movie coming out called The Kitchen. Really? Yeah, it stars Elizabeth Moss, Mm -hmm. Tiffany Haddish, and Melissa McCarthy. So we're playing Kitchen Cast movie trivia. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yourself versus three. Are you are you okay to take on three opponents? Well, I was thinking about that. I actually brought a ringer in with me, but he's too good at trivia. Parker, my son. So I don't think it would be fair to the team from Dear Frankie. So actually, I'll just take Phil. <laughs> I, don't, I, I want to give him a sporting, really boost up Phil sporting chance. Yeah. Okay. So, so Phil, will you be on my team? Uh, for whatever little that's worth, absolutely. All right, great. And Parker can read the clues. Wow. So it is going to be three against two. Parker is giving the clues. Mm-hmm. Pitch me in Parker. Pitch in Parker. Something like that. Uh, just pitch, man. Wow. This is exciting. He could swing in and save the day. There you um, go. We also have a new theme this month. It's a we, busy month. It is. It's a busy we podcast. We just wrapped up Quentin Tarantino month. If we have time, and I think we will, Matt, a quick spoiler lounge at the end of the episode. Okay. Um, so it brings us to August. Wow. This year is flying by. Mm. That means we have a new theme. Matt, you were behind picking this gentleman. Oh, I love this guy, especially his voice. One of the greatest American narrators of all time. Tremendous actor in many of my favorite movies, including 
one that I have put at the number one spot many, many times, the great Morgan Freeman. Wow, there it is. Cinema Jaw will be celebrating Morgan Freeman all month of August. Yeah. Let's kick it off, Phil, with a Morgan Freeman fact. Yes, this week's Cinema Jaw Morgan Freeman fact Morgan started his acting career at the tender age of 12, winning a statewide competition in drama. Later, he would go on to become the first African-American to appear in three separate Best Picture films. That is impressive. And you got to also consider the fact that when Morgan Freeman was 12, it was 1949, okay? So that's an achievement in and of itself. You know, this is before the civil rights movements, everything like that. So he had to have been tremendous to, to break down those barriers. I'm glad we're celebrated Morgan Freeman here on Sunday. I'm, I'm very happy about it as well. Also, August, new month means new riddle. Matt, before we do that, let's uh-huh. remind the jawheads what the July riddle the was. The controversial July riddle, which was very difficult, I am told, is this. I was adored by thousands of right-wing Pennsylvanians before I got shot, including Jack Black. Starring alongside Robin Williams when he had a mustache made it difficult to keep a straight face on set, I imagine. I was a good person who didn't make a lot of sense when Sean Penn pinned a crime on me. I've been a Viking, a prisoner, a ball player, and a buddy to Martin. Who am I? I thought it was easy. Right. Well, because you wrote the riddle, but uh, it proved pretty difficult. Explain the riddle here, Mac. Okay. Speaking of Morgan Freeman, uh, thousands of right-wing Pennsylvanians before I got shot, including Jack Black, is from the movie Bob Roberts. And starring alongside Robin Williams when he had a mustache was in Cadillac Man. Good person who didn't make a lot of sense when Sean Penn pinned a crime was from Mystic River. He was a Viking in Eric the Viking. He was a prisoner in the Shawshank Redemption. He was a ball player in Bull Durham and buddy to Martin in Nothing to Lose. Ryan, it's obvious that the answer is Tim Robbins. Wow, Tim Robbins was the answer. A few jawheads did get it correct, so Matt, let me reach into the hat, pull out a winner, and we have Joe Marshall. Mm. Joe Marshall, always always writing in. Joe, you get your choice of a prize. We're giving away a $25 gift card to Fandango, or you can always take Matt on in trivia in a future Cinema Jaw Write us feedback at cinemajot.com. Matt, that brings us to the August riddle. I wrote this one. I think it's Just actually throw a little that bit in. easier. You got to throw that in, Rye. Take the credit. All right. This is the August riddle. I am afraid, very afraid, not of roller coasters. I used to work at an amusement park and not of skeletons either. I made a movie in their name. Falling food from the sky. Now that is scary. Now let me bust this high school party and take all their gold slick vodka. Who am I? If you know the answer to the August riddle, write us feedback at cinemajod.com. Your name will be thrown in a hat, and we will pick out one lucky winner. Are we going to throw in another uh, Fandango card? Possibly. Let's do it. All right. All right. So you can win 25 bucks. I like it. Fandango card. There you go. Exciting. Indeed. All right. That takes care of all of our housekeeping. That was quick. Yeah. Finally, bring in our guests. They've been patient sitting here. Uh, Matt had mentioned they have a film called Dear Frankie. It is a pleasure to honor Megan Marie, Nate, and Claudia to Cinema Jaw. Welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. If Thanks. you could uh, go around the room so that they get an idea of who's talking. Yeah, put a name and, to the voice. Yeah, say your name and, and what you did on Dear Frankie. Uh, I'm Claudia. I'm a co-director and co-writer. 
I'm Megan Marie. I am the other director and writer, and I also helped produce. And uh, I'm Nate, and I produced and executive produced the film. Nice. Now, I, this, this is actually currently making the festival rounds, is that right? And I hear you guys have been kind of doing pretty well with it. Yeah, we actually just got back from um, Indie Shorts in Indianapolis this past weekend. It's presented by Heartland Film, and they have an amazing uh, Heartland Film International Film Festival in October. And then it was just doing so well that that film festival is dedicated to features. So they broke off and started doing a short film festival. Oh, nice. It's the largest one now in the Midwest, and it was an absolute pleasure. So much fun to be there. So tell us a little bit about the film and how it came together. Yeah, so this film originally was made for a competition that um, Nate will probably talk about. It's called Straight Eight, and the whole idea um, is that basically it's shot on film and you have to shoot it continuously. So we were kind of thinking about that idea, what we wanted to do with it. I've wanted to work with Claudia for a while. Little known fact, we are actually related, so. Mm -hmm. Spoiler kind of, alert. Spoiler now, when, alert. when you say shot continuously, you mean you have to shoot this, the film in sequence, is that right? Yeah, so uh, part of the competition, which makes it a lot of fun, is all your edits need to be done in camera. Uh, so there is, you do not have an opportunity to kind of go back and, and develop your film and then be able to cut it when, you know, in post. Uh, what if somebody forgets a line? You're screwed? You're screwed. <laughs> yeah. That just makes it into the film. It makes it into the or film. Or you can get another film reel, but that would be kind of a pain. Wow. Yeah. But we've done that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes it fun, too. The straight eight, anyways. The idea is that the filmmaker actually doesn't even see his film, right? Right. Until it's actually shown Screened. in the competition. And that's part of the joy of it all is like, did we get this completely right? You know, they may be using an effect where they're supposed to be you know, a dangling star in camera, and it, it might actually be outside of the shot. You just don't know until you actually see it. Yeah, and in some cases, you might not know for months if, if you got it right or if you're just so wildly off on your execution of that shot that it will just kind of haunt you for months and just <laughs> the, the agony of waiting and just waiting and waiting. Uh, until you get the call, uh, whether or not you uh, your film made it to one of the screenings or whether it was not selected. Uh, so it can just be one of those things where uh, it's a ton of fun to make because I think it's such a unique way of filmmaking and it kind of gets you back to the the original raw form of shooting on film kind of the basics of filmmaking where you storytelling really right yeah and you yeah. didn't have those kind of the modern tools that everybody has where you have computers and you have you can go back and shoot things 30 times right. if you wanted to if and the uh, the kind of idea is that you send that in and you, you don't get to see it but then you do have to compose a soundtrack but you have to do that without being able to see your film so there's a lot of math happening on set to make sure you know that you're lining up your audio correctly, and then you send that off, and the competition marries it. Right, because in, in in eight millimeter, you're actually recording the audio separately, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you, then you have to like compose your music and any additional dialogue and stuff. And sound effects or sound effects. Getting dialogue to line up with that kind of stuff is very challenging. Oh, I imagine so. So, and and you know, usually with challenge film festivals like the Twenty Four Hour Fest or the or Straight Eight, um, you, you'll see a film and you'll say this is good for what it is. But this film that you've made actually turned out so well that it's breaking out. Yeah, we've been really really fortunate about it. When we it got selected to be part of the competition, is at the top eight finalists get to premiere at a section of Ken. So we went there oh, last wow. year. So that was really awesome. They have an affiliation uh, with them. And it was just a, we had a, a wonderful reception of it. And so many people came up to us and was like, you need to put this in the circuit. It's great. It's kind of like what you said, not not just great for, for what the limitations are, but right. a, an overall good film, which is, you know. Always what you want to hear. Of course, yeah. yeah. And Claudia, if you could touch on the premise of Dear Frankie. Um, sure. So I I mostly focused on the more of what I saw visually, but it's based on experience that Megan Marie had and a visual idea that I'd had in my mind for a while. Um, and I, I was interested in doing something with long takes too, and I think that worked really well for our film because it's really short. Um, so in the film, we kind of see um, uh, a friendship that's kind of corroding, and we kind of get to go through the daily activities of these two roommates, and we get to see just how they're not really connecting anymore. So basically, in each of our four shots, they kind of go through the motions, um, and then towards the end, the one person will kind of freeze in position, and it's been really interesting hearing what people think that that means, but when I originally thought of that, I, I, I wasn't quite sure what it meant, but it, it could be symbolic and it could mean many different things for many different people. We're, we're a fan of that sort of uh, mm -hmm. tradition in storytelling where you, you sort of leave that open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of felt right, and I just think it's really cool that it has so many different interpretations from so many different people. It's awesome. Yeah, I think congrats. the one that I take most away from it is that like, it's like a play on memory, basically, because the whole film is about a, a, this woman writing a letter, um, and it's kind of her like reliving her past. And so like what her memory is, kind of the cognitive dissonance between her memory uh, of what she remembers, what she wants to remember, what's actually the truth and what's not the truth. Mm -hmm. um, so Claudia has this amazing, like, experimental, really cool visual style that I was so excited to incorporate. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I feel like with with Megan Marie's story, it did all just kind of come together because I I kind of originally wasn't sure quite what to do with this visual thing that I was thinking of, um, and then it really did just come together really nice. And then when we got the film back, I was surprised at how pretty it looked because I don't think I'd worked with Super 8 film before, so that was really cool. It's awesome. So once it gets done with the festival circuit, like what's the idea? Put it up online uh, somewhere. Um, take us there for the jawheads listening to this that want to check this Dear Frankie out. Yeah, we, we, we've had some initial discussions about what the plan might be down the road. Um, we, we have about another eight to nine months of festivals uh, submitted for, and we've kind of looked at two or three different options in terms of where online it might live. So it could be a YouTube Vimeo kind of life. The standard. The, the yeah. standard kind of thing. Uh, it could be through um, 
on YouTube, but through a different distribution network. Um, you've started to see very much some short films that have gone through a company yeah. and kind of released the rights to it, but that allows them to get more views. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of started to work on how that might work. And we're open to any and all conversations. Uh, I don't want any real restrictions, and I don't think Megan or Claudia do either, because the idea is we want as many people to see it. And I feel like if we just say, like, you know, we're just going to throw it up on our personal page and that will be the end of it. Right. Not as many people are going to see it. But if we open up to, say, an Amaletto or to a company like that that might be interested in saying, hey, this has done hey, really this has done really well in the festival circuit, you might, you know, would you be interested in potentially hosting the, hosting our film? And, you know, we'll kind of see where those conversations go in the next eight to nine months. And we've had a lot of screenings in and around the city as well and around the country. So we're pretty vocal about where we'll be and, of course, anyone who wants to come. Well, I was, was going to ask, in, in the meantime, since you're so vocal about it, where's the best place for people to go to listen to you and follow the film? Yeah, so um, our like social media um, stuff is at Dear Frankie Film. So that's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and then our personals, which we're always talking about Dear Frankie on there, where we're going with it, where it's screening. We also have our teasers up, and like we we put post a bunch of like clips and stuff. Um, mine is at M period Connolly C O N N O L L Y. And that's Instagram. Uh, I'm Nate Doc Gilbert on uh, Instagram and Nate Gilbert on Twitter. Um, well, if anyone wants to find me, <laughs> I'm uh, Claude.Krogue on Instagram. So that's C L A U D dot K R O G. Nice. Do it, everybody. Yeah. Where are we at with another Straight Eight Film Festival here in Chicago? So that was really Elias and I trying to kind of take this film festival that is originated in you know the UK and mm -hmm. London um, that didn't really have a big reach here in the US and it's such an exciting kind of challenge and it's a really good way to get your film shown in a bunch of different places um, so basically Elias and I kind of took that model and developed this partnership with the guys over in Straight 8 and we're like hey we want to put something on in Chicago can we start to like host this? And they were really great about letting us do that. We got IFP involved, it was really nice. Um, we're probably not gonna put on another like screening like that. However, all the films that we did screen like are living online and Straight 8 has its own like Vimeo where you can see all their films, including one that Nate and I made the year previously called Bedhead that is also up for viewing too. Nice. So. Yeah, lots of opportunities. They're a lot of fun. I, I highly that, recommend going to check it out. I was at that film festival and had a blast with it. So definitely do it, Jawheads. We like to end our guest interviews with a silly cinema cue, usually about the theme of the month. Phil? Yes. So it is about Morgan Freeman. Uh, and since it's the beginning of the month, our first week of Morgan Freeman month, I wanted to ask this. Um, Obviously, Morgan Freeman's best-known trait is his narration voice. Uh, out of everything that he's narrated, what would you guys say? Uh, and Team Dear Frank, you guys can either agree or disagree. Um, what it, What is his best narration performance? That's a tough one, man. Mm. I don't know how tough that is. I feel like to really 
appreciate Morgan Freeman's talent as a narrator, I would have to say, what is it, Mar- March of the Penguins? That March is, of the Penguins yes. yeah. is a great one. I would have to say that one. For w- sure. Is that what you were thinking, Ryan? Yeah, you said it's not it, a tough yeah. one. Yeah, no, I thought it's. I thought the two that are uh, standouts, mm-hmm. March of the Penguins and Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go left field here and say his Visa commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those things are works of art, personally. That's what I got to say. I, I agree. Um, a specific narration doesn't come to mind, but I do think of God when I think of Morgan Freeman because mm. he's always the voice of God or the That's omniscient true. person. I, well, yeah, he was uh, God and Bruce Almighty. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. At least that one role, probably more. Does he do narration in Million Dollar Baby? Some, right? Throw it in the fish Throw tank. Throw in the fish tank. I think he does, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Good question, though, Phil. Wow, we're off and rolling on Morgan Freeman Month. I'm excited about it. Well, Megan Marie, Nate, and Claudia are sitting in on this entire job. They have their top five films that take place in the dark. We'll see where this goes. I start thinking of them, John. Scenes. 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 Yes. Not, not, I, should, I did say film. Uh, just scenes. Think of the good ones, Jawheads. It takes a little while. Oof. Boy, does it. But I got, I got five good ones. I'm excited to hear your list. All right. Brings us to Eye for an Eye. Yes, eye for an eye, scary stories to tell in the dark. It's 1968, the small town of Mill Valley, where for generations the shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large. It is in their mansion on the edge of town that a young girl with horrible secrets turned her tortured life into a series of scary stories, written in a book that has transcended time. Stories that have a way of becoming all too real for a group of teenagers who discover Sarah's terrifying tome. The film is produced by Guillermo del Toro and is directed by Andre Overdahl, who is best known for directing 2010's Troll Hunter. Rai, we throw it over to you. Well, it's funny that he directed Troll Hunter, still on my list to watch. Ooh, I have I've not s- seen I have seen it. Troll Hunter, and I, I mm. have that one written down in my journal. I remember this was on my list for summer movie preview, so obviously interested. And I said it then, I'll say it now. I really do wish this was directed by Guillermo del Toro and not just produced. Right. I saw a preview for it just earlier today and it got me excited uh i know the press screening is next week i'm interested matt well we're going to be talking about a film that's produced by a big name director uh later on and what that means well, i think to have del toro's name on it is a stamp of approval of some sorts does that mean the film's going to be good i don't know but at least it bodes well i'm a huge fan of the book i mean who isn't you know I'm not i've never read it <sighs> Dude, you are missing out. In fact, because of the movie, it's back in circulation. I saw it at Target the other day. Mm. Pick it up. It's, it's still terrifying. So, yeah, I'm totally interested, man. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. Claudia, interested or ignore? Ignore. <gasps> wow. Didn't what read gives? the book? I don't know. I think the movie just it doesn't look that original. Um, it's hard to get original horror stories, I feel like. Wow. I don't know. Hereditary is my all-time favorite. I feel like that's genuinely very unique. But this one, I mean, it's probably fun, but it's probably not amazing. Huh. Megan Marie? I'm definitely interested. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm interested. He <laughs> rings the bell all the time. It's, it's distracting, I know. Um, kind of what you said, like having the stamp of Guillermo del Toro is great. Uh-huh. However, that being said, sometimes I also think that might mean it's it can be sloppy. So interested to see how that's going to go. Interested but trepidatious. Nate? I am interested. Um, I, I think that over the last couple of years, we've had 
such a renaissance in horror uh in the horror genre and the quality of horror movies has just gotten so much better that i was always never into the horror movies but over the last couple years i've just been like okay i'll go see a horror movie or i'll go see scary movies um so i'm in i'm in it's got uh del toro's name on it and i'm in Phil, we're sitting at four interesteds, one ignore as we go into the fish tank. Where do you sit? Claudia, you're on your own, dude. This is going to be so exciting. Uh, I read the books as a kid, too. Uh, Matt's right. Yeah, if you haven't read them, Ryan, you're a dweeb. Pick them up. They're, it's a, they're, they're great. Especially the first one. And those illustrations, man. On the cover? Oh, my God. They're, are, are we getting still three terrified. stories in this one? That I like it's, it's Probably, right? Like an anthology? Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. But is the book got more oh, of them? yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. More than three. There, there might oh. be like ten. Oh, nice. Yeah. I hope they show the one where where she takes off her. Um, yes. Her, the, the, what is that, the choker. On her, yeah. yeah. The choker on her neck, and then her head falls off. <laughs> I remember reading that as a kid. It was nuts. Me too. That's one of the ones that scarred me, man. Anytime somebody's wearing a choker, I'm always a little creeped out. <laughs> All right, we got four interested. Uh-huh. One ignore four. Scary stories to tell in the dark. We'll have a review next episode. But, I mean, be honest, Claudia, you're going to be there. I, gonna... I will probably see it. I yeah. mean, I did like the books a lot, but I just I wasn't that interested in the trailer. But, I mean, I would like it's to see okay. it. So. All right. I'm just giving you crap. It's totally okay. <laughs> we forgive you. Well, we go Thanks. into more horror here as we have a review of Crawl, Matt. Nice. A girl, her father, and an alligator walk into a bar. The bartender says... I have an idea for a movie. It's been a while, Matt, since we've got a good alligator film. Boy, has it, Ryan. So That's a true statement. Matt, Nate, and I sharpened our teeth and chomped down on Crawl. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Number one of an alligator movie. Don't overstay your welcome. I'm happy to report Crawl's runtime is a nice 89 minutes long. With that said, the plot and relationship of the characters has to be told quickly and on point so we have enough time to see some people ripped into pieces. We meet Kea during a swim meet in college. After losing her race, she reflects on a time when her father, played by Barry Pepper, taught her how to swim and so forth. In the locker room, she gets a call from her concerned sister. You see, a hurricane is hitting a Florida town where their father still lives and he's not answering his phone. Kea decides to drive down there and see if he needs help. Upon arriving to the house, she finds her dad in the basement, and that is not all. The floodwaters have brought with it a ridiculously large alligator. Can the two get to safety? And an even better question is, Will we get introduced to some silly side characters that will clearly be eaten by gators? The answer is yes. Bloody yes. We get gators ripping bodies apart, gators leaping out of the water, gators being stabbed in the head. Thankfully, Kea Matt is a swimmer. 
or I'm not sure. That came in handy. Yeah, her, (laughs) I'm not sure the father and daughter would have a chance here. Crawl is best if you do not think about it too much. Allow yourself to have fun. For a horror film about alligators attacking people in their house, Crawl's a winner. I had fun, Matt. I agree with you, Ryan. First of all, I want to say that you said ridiculously large gators. I don't think they were ridiculously large. I mean, Too large, al- I thought. Really? No. Alligators are pretty big And we'll talk creatures. about the look of the alligators. That was a little iffy for me as well. Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't have that sort of issue whatsoever. I thought the alligators looked great. Uh, the, the reason this movie succeeds, and I do think it succeeds for the most part, is the fact that the characters are so strong. The relationship between uh, daughter and father is is strained. You can tell that there's a history. The world feels sort of lived in. They did a great job with all of that. And then when all hell starts to break loose with the hurricane and the gators and stuff, it, it just sort of is the catalyst that propels their their healing, their their uh, the way that they fix their relationship, even if they wind up missing a few limbs at the end. And I like that actually. There, there's of course got to be the big moment where the father and daughter have that touching. Yeah. Relationship bond again. Yeah. But keep it to about 30 seconds and to a minute. Did. And get right back to the alligators, yeah. and they did just that. They did a great <laughs> job with that. I, I agree, man. It was fun. I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Did you uh, have a favorite scene? Wait, hold on. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Nate also That's has seen true. it. That's true. And I believe, Nate, you were a fan of Crawl as well. I, I had a blast. I went in, I, I was saying earlier to you, I went into this movie with bottom basement expectations no pun intended there you go (laughs) and i went out into the crawl space there you go uh no i went in uh just not really thinking much uh i thought this was going to be another very low budget generic monster movie and it had a lot of heart like and again exactly it had the right runtime it had the right amount of just people getting ripped to shreds I actually liked the creature, the creature design. The, the look of the alligators. Right. Like, I, I thought it worked for what it was. I thought the first time we saw the alligator in the basement, I thought, oh, why'd you have to make it so big? To me, That's, it Dude, how big do you think an alligator is? I, They're bigger than this but table. Also, <laughs> did you ch- see Chance the Snapper? He was a little guy. But I also <laughs> thought, like, it, it, it had to be kind of comically big for, like, what it was trying to be, which is, like, this fun, kind of ridiculous monster movies and it all kind of just worked and i think the reason that like it's kind of done so well is again like okay this is and i think you mentioned this earlier you know it's a sam raimi movie so Mm -hmm. it has that bigger name there's the producer right attached to it and you know as the trailers were coming out for it and then you started seeing oh wow this is getting really good reviews and it's starting to make a lot of money and like that's when i was like okay i'm gonna go see this and I went and saw it. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. Like, and I told my friends, I was like, you should go see this. Like, mm-hmm. it was a great time. I would say it had more more jump scares yes. than it had those, like, really high-tension moments where e- even when a- at one point uh, Kea's got to swim to, like, get her phone sort of, like, under the water or, you know, in the basement. And she's right before make a, it got crushed. Before it got crushed yeah. by one of the alligators. What do you call that? A paw or whatever that thing? What are the alligators' feet called? Throw that in the fish tank. Is it just feet or do they actually have a... Scientific. I think it's just feet. Yeah. So before the alligator crushed the thing, that part, I guess, was a little tense because she was trying to, like, get around some pipes. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. All of it was tense, man. It was? Yes, absolutely. I thought it was more jump scares with the, you know, when the gators would jump, leap out of the water that I felt. Oh, man. Okay, so there's, first of all, just going into your crawl space, 
is scary. If it's bone dry and clean, you have the most wonderful tiled crawl space because you have claustrophobia. But there, there's no crawl space on the world that's tiled and clean. They're all filthy and, and there's bugs everywhere. Spider webs. Yeah, so just mm. being down there and there's some rodents running by, it's disgusting. Okay, so that alone would freak me out. I, I wouldn't go down there even if I knew there weren't alligators. She's also caught in a flood, so the rising water adds another level of fear. And then within the waters are monsters. So, I mean, yeah, I was tense the whole movie. I'm like clenched up on the edge of my seat. I, I was really afraid, and the jump scares were almost a relief. Wow. I, 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 yeah, I liked the tension. I also, I also appreciated, too, that it, was, it wasn't like a shark. Like it was a different, <laughs> but monster. it could have been. Let's no, be it honest. could have been, but like it was something different. Like you said, like it's been a while since we had like an alligator. I was trying to or think something. What was the one with Betty White? There, she was in an alligator movie, and Throw it was it a fish tank. giant alligator movie. Was that Lake Placid? I think you're correct. Okay. Oh, take God. a stab at that but one. The way that you guys are describing this just sounds like alligators with a less cheesy version of Sharknado. That's fair. So. That's probably fair. <laughs> it's done a little bit better a little than bit better. a lot bit better. Yeah, a lot, a lot, bit, better. A lot bit better is a good way to say it because it's not quite a B movie okay. feel and of Sharknado. Got it. Right. And the, effect, and, and, the, and the effects are better. Mm -hmm. The effects are way better. Do yeah. we think it's going to be like a cult classic type of thing of the mm, summer? I don't or? think it's that strong. It's okay. just a, a really but good, fun. fun movie. It is fun. I don't think they're going to make another one, probably. Oh, well, we'll see if this <laughs> one makes enough. This is Hollywood. Right. Yeah. But yeah. it's made It's made three times its budget, so it could at this point. Breaking it down a little bit further hit sure. here, Matt, uh, a best moment or something you really wanted to highlight? Let's just say the robbery gone wrong. I mean, that's that's kind of when we first get to see like true carnage, and uh, that's almost when it took on a bit of a Jaws feel. So I, I liked that that you saw that the world was bigger than just the crawl space. Yes, uh, for me, as, as I mentioned, I really liked the jump scares in the movie, and I'm one of those guys that if you catch me at a good moment, I can literally almost fall out of the theater chair, and they got me. And it was when a tree goes through the window. That got me too. Yeah, I think because even, I, this is not a spoiler, because no one's gonna know when this happens. It literally comes out of nowhere, and it's loud, and I literally almost jumped out of my chair. I just was not ready for the moment. No. The hurricane's going on, so branches are flying, you know? It was, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. Uh, a worse scene or trouble? I got one. Okay. So, Kayla, is it Kaya or Kayla? I her, It's spelled, in, I looked it up, is K-A-Y-A. -A. I would say that's Kaya then. That's why I, I thought he was saying Kayla it. the whole movie. Or was he saying K? <laughs> well. I think he shortened it a lot of times to K. The lead actor goes out onto her patio at one point during the movie. This is during a Florida Category 5 hurricane, okay? <laughs> Wind is whipping all the plants in her yard around. Rain is coming sideways, and her hair is not moving one bit. <laughs> I totally, that bothered me. Well, Took me out of it. it? <laughs> exactly. I, I would say it's, it's way too easy to see the swimming part with the father encouraging her in the flashbacks to see exactly that this is how the movie is going to end. And do they really have helicopters flying in a, in a hurricane like that to pick people up? No, they usually wait till the storm's right, over. Right, till the storm's over. Yeah. The storm is just raging. Raging. It's at its absolute worst. Branches are flying around, and there's helicopters coming to pick people off. I thought that doesn't happen, does it? It seems ridiculous. I don't think it does. That either. helicopter's going down. Let's For be sure. Real. Yeah. Uh, influences. There's part two, Nate. <laughs> there, that's how it starts. Uh, I, I, I've been corrected. There you go. 
<laughs> I mean, I think Sharknado is a fair influence. Uh, I, I also got flavors of Jaws, though, mm-hmm. though not quite as uh, a masterpiece. But uh, it's there. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I went with the storm. There was that sort of cheesy into the storm movie a couple years ago that has, you know, some tense moments from the storms themselves. So I think the flooding added a lot to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. That was good. Mm. Uh, what'd you learn, if anything? Um, no, not much other than uh, apparently all you need to protect yourself from gators is some, you know, pipes in the basement. You'll be fine. And a shovel. Shovels are good. <laughs> I went with, uh, and I don't know if this is true, maybe the, the movie's lying to me and I'm actually going to get eaten by an alligator since we have them here in Chicago now. Um, <laughs> I learned. Just stay out of Humboldt Park, you'll be fine. <laughs> I learned that if you don't move, alligators will just swim right by you. Just like Tyrannosaurus Rex. It, that can't be real, is it? I don't think so. Don't I'm move. I'm not going to find move, out. move, and then they, okay, it just swims right by you. I don't know. You got a movie poster quote here, Matt? No, I don't. You got one? It's never safe to go back into your flooded basement. <laughs> It's a good one. That is a good I one. I like that one. I could see it right there. How many jaws you got, Matt K? For this one, I, I'm giving this... It's difficult to give it three jaws, but that's where I'm at with it. It was a lot of fun. It's a good movie, and there was just enough heart to make it a three-jaw movie. We're on a four-jaw scale here, Nate. How many jaws? I give it a three-jaw. Three-jaw? Yep. I'm, I'm at two and a half. I enjoyed it. I'm recommended. Yeah. So. It's it's better than what it should be, by far. That there, There's your movie poster. There it is, Ryan. It's better than, it should, better than what it should be. <laughs> I like it. Coming to a theater near you. I love it. If you have seen Crawl since it has been out a couple weeks, uh, you can write us feedback at cinemajaw.com or hit us up on Twitter at cinemajaw. Let us know what you thought of the movie. No really big in the dark moments, even though a little bit when they're in the basement. It's dim. It's dim. But that is our topic this week, and it's a difficult list for you guys to come up with as well. Did you guys collaborate and talk on email or something? or? Oh, yeah. We've been texting, calling, we're figuring it out, research had. We're, we're ready for it. So. Well, you guys here, um, Megan Marie, Claudia, and Nate have combined their list. So what do you have at number five? Uh, so at number five, uh, keeping with the monster theme here, speaking of Jaws, we have Jaws at number five, the opening scene of Jaws, uh, where... Uh, Susan Buckline in Fantastic Actress gets uh, pulled down underneath, and that kind of sets the tone for the movie, uh, which is where you see a lot of the film from the, both the perspective of the shark and how you don't see the shark. Uh, it's also just the way that that is shot, the way that they did that, how they were basically wired her up and were just yanking this poor... T- early 20 at the time (laughs) early 20s actress and just slashing this poor woman underwater but the way that they lit that and you know they had a just a giant light just kind of shining onto the water and it just was this terrifying moment um which set the tone for the movie not many people then at night want to go swimming in the ocean no dark water is i know i remember being you know spring break or whatnot you're on a vacation and it's the ocean's scary. I know probably because hey, of Lake Jaws. Michigan is scary at, at night. night. Yeah, right. I don't know. There's probably nothing in there. You maybe get a big cod or something. That's about it. All nice right. pick. Gets us started off with a classic. All right. That swings it to me. At number five, I have one of the most interesting premises for a vampire movie, I'm going to go ahead and say of all time. Oh, my goodness. Because what would you do if you lived in a town in Alaska Mm. where when night comes, 
it lasts 30 days. You love your Josh Hartnett. I do love my Josh Hartnett. I'm a big fan of the graphic novel, 30 Days of Night. Steve Niles wrote the original uh, graphic novel. And when night falls, that's the scene. You know, I guess as the audience, because we're going to see a vampire movie, what's going to come for these characters. So it's sort of ominous uh, that they're going to be locked in this month-long night where the vampires can just have their way in this town. It's, it's really cool. Good scene. I enjoyed that one. I, I didn't read the graphic novel, but I remember thinking... The book's better, but yeah. the movie's fun. It's just the premise. I mean, that really so smart. So I went with a shark movie at my number five also, and it's, it's a terrible shark movie, but the scene is what we're highlighting here. Two years ago, 2017, Mandy Moore made a shark movie entitled 47 Meters Down. We're actually getting a sequel in a couple of weeks. 48 Meters Down? I <laughs> no. mean, seriously, really? No, but there is a sequel coming oh, that out. That movie God. was so bad. It was so good. <laughs> but there is one scene, since we're highlighting In the Dark Moments, where uh, Mandy Moore's character and the other actress, uh, they they're basically are way down. They've come out of the cage. The idea here, the premise was that they were going to go in one of those shark ca- like cages. Like a tourist, adventure tourism right. thing, yes. The cage breaks. They're down on the, like, basically the bottom of the ocean. Um, they come up, and you learn a lot about scuba diving here. They're, they were too far down, and the oxygen, I forget exactly what, so they got to wait a little while so right, that so they don't, they don't the pass bends. out. Right, yeah. so they're, they're sort of waiting there, and of course, all they have with them is a flashlight, and a, f- a flare. And they forgot their bat shark repellent. Right. Yeah, that would have been handy, though. And they lose the flares, you know, at, at certain times. They're, they're starting to shake. And then the flashlight goes out. And all you get is this complete darkness, black, of sitting in the ocean. And I think the entire audience knows exactly what's going to happen here as they're fiddling around for another flare. And when they finally open up that flare, boom, giant shark on the screen with them, and the scare is just awesome. As bad as the movie was, you got to give them credit for the, just the timing and the, and the way it was shot. I was a fan. Watched it again last night. Still got me, and I knew it was coming. And, of course, they swim up. And I'm, I'm a fan of that trope. Let's be honest. Nobody can kill Mandy Moore. You can't kill her. No. No. So we know she's going to live. That was my number five. I can't believe I have 47 meters down on a list, I can't but I either. just did it, Matt. I just did it. Into our fours we go. Um, so our number four is Lights Out. <gasps> my number four as well. What? Good pick. You have great minds here. Um, so I actually really like this movie. It's um, directed by David F. Sandberg. He originally made a short film in 2013 by the same name, Lights Out, on like zero budget, and it's like three minutes long, and then it had like over a million views and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then he made it into a feature. But the scene that I'm particularly thinking about is one that um, really relates a lot to that short film, which is probably the first scene um, where Billy Burke is in, um, most notably probably known for Kristen Stewart's father in Twilight. (laughs) Um, But he's closing up his warehouse, which is a mannequin warehouse. Scary already, right? (laughs) Scary already. Um, And his lights are like go on and off depending on motion sensor. But the whole idea of the entire film is that there's this like ghost person, um, her name is Diana, that she only appears in the dark. So the entire first scene is like the motion sensors are light are like on and then you see her in between like the lights mm-hmm. and then they go off in, and a she distance, moves, in a distance and then she moves forward, right? She oh. like keeps getting closer and, and like that ninja cat video? 
where they cut away and the cat's closer and they closer. cut away and the cat's yep. closer. It's terrifying. It's so simple, but it's terrifying. And yeah, it's really important. The, the trailer even. I remember oh. seeing the trailer, which is basically the same premise. Yeah. It's it's a lady. She's got, uh, she looks yes. back in the room. Now I, it's and she She turns off the yeah. light and she thinks she sees yeah. somebody there. She turns it on, turns it off, and it keeps getting closer. And it's like, oh my God. That's the short film. It right. I've seen like, the short, it's, yeah. It's t- and then it's like on her, his, her nightstand mm-hmm. at the end of it. And it's right. the most terrifying three minutes of my entire life. But um, I'm, hey, it was this feature was made for five million dollars and it grossed like 150, which is like the dream. But there's going to be a sequel to help uh, mm. kind of counterbalance mm. that controversial ending. Yes, there. which supports our, our uh, theory that there will be a crawl <laughs> to this. Yep. Of course, I'm going to lose that battle. <laughs> Matt, what do you got sitting there for? All right, this is the one you're going to hate, right? I had to cheat. This was uh, seriously difficult. It really, really was. And I didn't want to just pick uh, 47 meters down and, and oh. give the jawheads a crappy movie. <laughs> Come on. So I'm going with a scene uh, featuring a, a visually impaired person who's completely 100% blind. And he is uh, a colonel, and he's about to commit suicide because he, he was not born blind. He feels that this uh, disability has made his life not worth living anymore. And his young friend, protege, uh, factotum, whatever you want to call this kid, comes in catches him in the act of, of uh, potentially killing himself and stops him. But during that exchange, things get almost violent and the gun is turned on the kid. And that's when Al Pacino delivers the line, I'm in the dark here. Sense of a woman? Yes, well done, well done. Oh my God. Hey, man, it's better than 47 meters down. Well, I don't Jesus. know. I mean, it's arguable, Are you kidding? actually. What? <laughs> Come on, guys. I don't remember Mandy Moore being in Scent of a Woman, so I don't know. I mean, Mandy Moore would have made the movie better, let's be honest. But it's a great movie. It's Al Pacino. Just overacting it is best. Yeah. I mean, was the scene shot in in his perspective of of not seeing anything? It was not. It was not. But you get, you really start to understand his, uh, the the level of his depression. Mm. So I I don't know. I think it's it's a good scene. In a good movie, I like Scent of a Woman. It's a little old, but it's still a good movie. All right. Swings it over to my number four. In all honesty, as I mentioned, I had lights out. Quick substitution in here is uh, a wonderful scene. I remember when we reviewed the movie on Cinema Jaw, I commented how beautiful the sunset was as it gets dark. And that's the first Sicario. And oh, the man, scene that's here a great scene. is when when the sunset goes down and they're all lined up and they're going to go into the drug tunnels that are, are going to lead them to the cartel. And they got to put on the night vision mm. then inside the tunnels. I rewatched the scene. And the only reason I, I didn't I left it as an honorable mention is it, it's really the moment of that sun going down and then walking into the such tunnel. a beautiful shot. But it really only lasts for about a minute. And then. Once they get a little bit deeper in the tunnel, the tunnel actually produces light because they have electricity down there and everything. The night vision doesn't come into play like you think it really is going to. But still, it at least gets that, those feelings like, oh, my God, I'm terrified for these people so great, to go down into a tunnel. Great pick, dude. So uh, we'll go with that. Into our threes we go, guys. So for our number three, we have either the last or one of the last scenes of Vertigo from 1958 by Hitchcock. So this is the scene where Scotty is taking Judy back to the bell tower, and this is the woman that he thought had killed herself by throwing herself off the bell tower. And throughout all this confusion and this fake murder plot, he he's kind of become obsessed with this woman. Um, and they're talking about why did they act how they did in the bell tower, and even though it's outside and it's broad daylight, 
in the bell tower is really dark on both of their faces. And um, when the nun walks up and she just says, I think I've heard something, when Judy actually falls off to her death, then it's just so quick and it's just very startling. None of it makes any sense, and I think that's why it's so creepy to me. But um, it was cool to see that that scene is very dark, too. Love the whole ending of that film. It's a great movie. It is. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that and being like, wait, what? <laughs> the entire ending, I was like, oh, okay. I, I remember my first time, I must have saw it as like, maybe a 10-year-old kid, and I didn't get it at all. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. sitting there, maybe my parents were watching it, and I remember being like, what's going on? Is this the girl from the beginning? I don't know what they're watching. This is weird. Yeah, and then I don't later, think... really appreciating it. Did yeah, you... I don't think I understood it either the first time. Did you guys ever see High Anxiety, the Mel Brooks send-up of uh, Hitchcock and um, that one in particular, Vertigo in particular, but all the Hitchcock films? It's good. I mean, it's Mel Brooks. Okay. National Treasure. Thank you. <laughs> Ryan, I could tell the look in his eyes. He's like, you're no, I was bonehead. just thinking, like, here, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about Hitchcock, one of the great films of all it's time, a Vertigo. Spoof and of he, Vertigo. And then he right away goes to uh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is a genius, man. <laughs> I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying. You can sometimes leave it and talk oh, about Jesus. Hitchcock. No, we could talk about other movies too, Ryan. Give it to History of the World Part Two. Thank you. <laughs> all right. That, that kicks it to me. And this is, I'm going full on darkness here. You were talking about night vision. This comes into play in this scene, too. One of the tensest moments of uh, just about any horror film, it's when Starling is being stalked in the dark house by Buffalo Bill. I can tell maybe you guys had this on your list. Oh, we were arguing so hard about getting into our list, and it made into our honorable mention. Okay, good. I'm shocked this isn't a number one, to be honest. Really? I really am. I got some more. It was that terrifying. Oof. How we, about it? We asked our Uber driver what kind of scenes he liked, and the, fir- the only one he could say was, was this one. And I was like, see, people love this mm-hmm. one. This is great. I think, Absolutely. I think what makes it so terrifying is the fact that he can see her. And, and this is to, to Jodie Foster's credit. She, she acts it so well. You can just tell that she has no idea where anything is. She can't see the hand in front of her face. But Buffalo Bill is sort of taunting her. He's playing with her almost. Like He's reaching out like he's going to touch her hair and stuff. It's really, really, really scary. Such a creepy-ass scene. And it's really everything that mounts up to the ending, too. I mean, her finally discovering and thinking that this is where Buffalo Bill's at and finally goes in that house, which is creepy. Right, and And he's got the upper hand. Totally. Yeah. Everything about that. I thought it'd be a number one. I'm shocked. Well, why didn't you have it at number one? Well, there you go. There you go. My number three might be my best pick. I don't know what it's doing at three now that I look at it. Rewatch the scene yesterday. Okay. And you're going to love this pick. All unless right. Unless you have it on your list. It's a sci fi film. Came out in mm-hmm. 2014. Okay. All right. So far, so good. It stars Chris Evans. Mm hmm. The film is Snowpiercer. I knew you were going to say that once you said Chris Evans. <laughs> once you said Chris Evans, and I love that movie so much. So here's the scene. Let me set it up. Because it's can't been remember a while a since. Scene. Yes, since you may have seen this. Here's a refresher here for you, Matt. Obviously, the people from the back of the train are trying to get to the front of the train. Right. And they, they get to a point where this humongous fight scene is about to take place. And the great Tilda Swinton comes out, makes a speech. And all of a sudden, they turn off all the lights in the train car, in this one particular train car. And then they go into a tunnel, which cuts the light from the outside. And all the people from the front of the train have night vision and axes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and a humongous fight breaks out, and I'm talking about like 75, 80 people where half can see in night vision, and the others are just stabbing away with whatever they have. Mm-hmm. This, this movie is basically murder on the Orient Express on steroids. <laughs> Like, it's awesome. Eventually, Chris Evans calls for fire in the back of the the train, which uh, means some little kid's got to get a torch and go running through all the train cars again, and they bring fire back into this train car so that they can see, and there's a fair fight. It's it's a awesome, awesome moment in that and correct me incredible from, movie. And correct me if I'm wrong here, this was the first big movie after Chris Evans got Captain, Captain America. America. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Almost unrecognizable in this. Yeah, because he had this. My favorite piece of uh, trivia about that movie is so he had this beard, this huge beard for Snowpiercer, and they had called him. They had called Chris Evans back to do the post credit scene yeah. for Avengers, but he had the beard, so they had to. Chris Evans had to put his hand over his face in the shawarma scene, the post-credits shawarma scene of Avengers, because he couldn't shave his beard for Snowpiercer. So he had to put his hand over his beard. (laughs) It sort of works out for the scene, because they all look so bored and tired. Yeah, And it's one of my favorite, like, Chris Evans, Snowpiercer trivia bits. So it's so funny they had that on your list. We've talked about Snowpiercer on the show, how much we love it. So if for some reason, Jawheads, you have not seen it, it's well worth the trip. On the Snowpiercer train. Completely agree. Indoor twos. So our second one um, is probably one of my absolute favorite films. And it's called El Orfanato, which in English is The Orphanage. Mm, uh, we're yes. talking about Guillermo del Toro so before. It's a great one. Um, he exec produced it. Uh, but it is actually the feature debut for Bayona. Um, Excellent film, despite Fallen Kingdom, do not give up hope for Bayona. <laughs> um, he hasn't lived up to the potential, I though, know, of the orphanage he ever do since. so well, and, and then he comes out with that film. But, so, this scene that I really, really like, so, if you haven't seen it, there's a huge plot line, but the general idea is that this woman is now alone in this orphanage that she used to live in, and her son has been missing, her husband has now left, Um, because he kind of can't take it anymore. And she was in this scene that I'm describing is trying to call upon the spirits of the murdered children that she used to live with in the orphanage. Um, And so in the scene, she's up against a wall and she's playing this game where um, she hits the the wall and it's like un, dos, tres, toca la pared, which in English is like one, two, three, touch the wall is the direct like translation. And it's this game where if like if you keep hitting it and she keeps doing it over and it's over. It's like a schoolyard thing. It's a schoolyard yeah. game. Yeah. And so when she turns around, it's pitch black, but she's in pitch black. And then she keeps doing it trying to summon these spirits and then she turns around and the door opens to some light. And then she's like, oh my God, the spirits are here. She keeps going. And then it's so creepy because the idea is that when you knock on the wall, like the people playing the game run. And then by the time that, like close to you, and by, by the time that you finish, you, you turn around and they have to freeze. And if they don't freeze, they have to start over and whoever gets to you first wins. So she keeps playing and she turns around and all these like 
dead children's spirits are all now in this living room with her alone in the dark. And mm, they're getting man. closer and closer and closer. <laughs> I would just stop knocking at that point. You know? But she's calling on them because she's at her last resort and she needs those children to help her find her child who's been missing and it's her last resort. And it's the creepiest, scariest scene ever, but it's also like one of the most brilliant, amazing it's a unbelievable great, movie. Great movie. It's so good. I always say it's probably the, my favorite horror film. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's it where really I, right, is. I put it right up there. Mm. It's great. It's not my favorite. It's in my top three. Yeah. Love I, it. I'd go Ring personally, but mm. that's another podcast. All right. That, that kicks <laughs> it to me. And you had to have known that this movie would come up. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm crossing over at this point. It is the triple sunset scene in the movie Pitch Black with the great, and I said the great, Vin Diesel. I also have <laughs> Pitch Black at number okay. two. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it just belongs on this list. It's a really tough list to, to research, and obviously this is like one of those ones that just pops right into your head. The premise of the movie is great, and Vin Diesel has, uh, you know, obviously he's Riddick, which would go on to spawn questionable sequels. Some people think that the sequels are okay. Um, but anyway, this he plays this criminal Riddick, who has uh, special eyesight and can see in the dark, which is very convenient since he is in a movie where uh, he's in a 20-day solar eclipse or something like that, and it's pitch black. Well, my scene that I was going to highlight there is when all the characters are, they got to carry that weird machine, and it's got those like glowing arms, and uh, they also got some lights. The lights go out, and this is a moment where you're, you're wondering... Uh, one character finally ventures off to the right by himself, and he's almost like in a desert. And this is that kind of moment where the lights go out, and you know it's really bad for the character. You can't see anything around him. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out a flask of whiskey, and you think he's just going to get drunk, or you don't know what he's going to do. But he takes that whiskey, holds it in his mouth, lights up a lighter, and blows the whiskey to make a, like a fireball. And it's that fireball that you see all the aliens around him about, you know, that is a good scene as well. It's pretty damn cool. Hell yeah. When was this released? Oof. I mean, we'll throw, throw it in, in the, the fish tank. Throw it in the fish tank. Pitch black. I, I would guess around, around 2000 or 2000 something? maybe, yeah. Gotta I know what movie it. I'm Gotta watching watch tonight. Yeah. Oh, really? You guys have never no, seen it? I've never seen it. It's, so it's the precursor. It's the first one in the Chronicles of Riddick. Okay, okay. It's it's actually another one that's way better than it should be. <laughs> Definitely worth a spin. A quick honorable mention for me at number two. I don't know, does this count? I was going with the uh, final conclusion in Bird Box. Mm. I was thinking about that, too. Okay, it takes place during the day, yes, but because they're wearing the blindfolds, and a lot of it is shot with them barely being able to see through the blindfolds, and they're listening for the birds and trying to get out of there, that entire ending where they're in the forests and they don't know what's going on, what's out there. It's really scary because we can't see it as well. So honorable mention. Yeah, it works as an honorable for sure. All right, here it is. Number ones. This is big. Who's going here? Nate? I'm going. I'm going. So uh, we we decided to uh, really kind of push the boundaries of the question. (laughs) And uh, so we we went with a a scene in what what I personally believe is one of the the best movies of all time. Uh, it takes place at night. Um, the scene in Jurassic Park when we get introduced to the for the first time to the T Rex, uh, to our good buddy T Rex, um, and when uh, Alan Grant and Ian Malcolm and and Lexi and and that whole crew uh, get basically get their ass kicked uh, by the T Rex. Uh, that is a scene, that is a scene that that 
got me into wanting to make movies. Uh, it's the first time that uh, the first time I ever saw that I was like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. There is a amazing documentary that came with if you bought the movie on VHS and if you bought like the special edition or whatever that the uh, two tape the two tape yes those two tapes <laughs> like you got back in uh, and then you got the night in 97 with the special edition Star Wars ones you got those two tapers mm -hmm. uh, that is narrated by James Earl Jones oh perfect and, and almost as good as Morgan Freeman almost, right? right exactly it's a toss up honestly. and uh, they go on to like this like they, they basically dedicate like 25 minutes to talking about just making that scene and how it was a combination of both the animatronic T-Rex the uh, CGI T-Rex, how it was shot partially in Kauai, partially at Studio 16 on, Warner, on the Warner Brothers lot, um, how the animatronic T-Rex gave them headaches, uh, you know, lighting it, shooting it. And it is just a fascinating scene to watch how they made that happen. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what we went with. I think one of my favorite parts of that scene, though, is, is the fact that the little kids have the, the flashlight. Mm -hmm. and, and the biggest up-close rev up reveal is in that scene of the T-Rex where, you know, she has the flashlight and she's pointing at the window and then the T-Rex just, like, slowly comes on and it's his eye. And right. that is, like, it's almost like, it, I mean, we're clearly, like, bookending it with, you know, Spielberg classics. But um, I think that part is also really similar to like the first time that we actually like see Jaws. It's like kind of that anticipation of like, oh, you're really big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Park, a classic. It is a classic. Did we talk about on this, on this show about how somebody almost died inside of the animatronic T-Rex? Mm -mm. Oh, so uh, the T-Rex almost actually ate one of the puppeteers or people that were putting it together because the animatronics were turned on accidentally um, while somebody was inside fixing things and adjusting things. I can't remember like where I heard this fact. And like the claw, or the, it was the mouth. And like, if I, I think I know what you're saying, but I'm not 100, and like the mouth basically like, like closed. something Right, nobody was hurt. Like the guy got out, but it was like a touch and go moment for, for <laughs> yeah. So even fake dinosaurs can be scary. Yeah, hey Phil, can you look up that fact? Somebody getting trapped in the animatronic T-Rex. All right, because I want to get the, the story right for the Jawheads. All right, that swings it to me. At number one, <clears throat> Ryu could probably guess. I'm, I can't think okay. of an Avengers movie that takes place in the dark. <laughs> well done. So uh, this is, we talked about our favorite horror movies. I, th I think this one is mine. It's a movie that is very much of its time. You saw it once. It's, it's almost like a, like a, like a single-use ticket. And once, once you rip it, you can't go back. But when you saw it that first time, it was completely different from anything I had ever seen in the theater before or since, frankly. And the scene in particular is what I would call the final entry in this character's video diary. It's a found footage movie. I'm talking about the Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. uh, Great choice. Yeah. yeah. She's sitting in front of the camera, and it's just like an iconic shot. It's on the cover of the movie at this point. Uh, everybody knows it's been spoofed so many times, but the such a raw acting moment from this from this gal, and like the the snot is coming out of her nose, the tears are just flowing down her face, and and she really makes you believe that she knows she's going to die. You know, such a raw scene, and it's completely in the dark. And I think that this movie, probably more than a lot of horror movies now or since 
made use of the dark and our fear of the dark better than most, you know, because they never really show you any monsters. That's kind of the genius of the Blair Witch Project. It's just your fear of the dark mm -hmm. that made it effective. Yeah. So. No, it was the Blair Witch Project took the Jaws premise of just using the idea of something maybe being there. Right. But took it on land. And never, ever showed anything showed anything yeah it was oh i love that movie <clears throat> good pick thanks my movie the scene that i'm going to bring up is what i think is the best in the dark scene that's why it's my number one but not probably the movie itself on a level of blair witch hopefully somebody else has seen this one in the room it came out in 2016 somewhat of a smaller movie but i positive reviews this is a movie where a bunch of detroit teenagers uh get the idea to break into wealthy houses and they pick a blind guy's house to oh, break yeah. into mm -hmm. the film is called don't breathe yes 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 this is a good one and the idea is that they're going to break into this house he's blind and they're, they're going to get his money well he ends up being home or he comes home and now they still think they can get away with the crime uh for a moment because he's blind well, he ends up being, you know, like an old vet, and he has all these skills. The scene that I'm talking about in the dark is two of the characters, the girl and one of the guys, are trapped in his basement. And because he's blind, so to make them not see, he cuts the lights and the power. So now nobody can see in the basement. He can't see, nor can they. And the way they end up shooting this is in that kind of, like, um, it's not necessarily night vision. It's almost like their ghost-like uh, vision. The, the, I don't know what you would call that. They're white, white-skinned. Yeah, yeah. It's not the green night vision. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Overexposed. Overexposed because yeah. the eyeballs, what make it too, they dilated the eyeballs like it would be if you were in the dark. And it's mm -hmm. them searching around the basement. And because he's deaf, he's supposedly as, you know, more keen on his sense of hearing. So he hears everything they're doing in the basement. And he's trying to grab them. They're running around. It is so tense of a scene. I remember just like holding my breath for like two minutes while the scene played out. It was a fun horror movie with a nice, clever premise. It really was. And then there's even a great moment later where they're trying to get out. And uh, the dog, he puts a, a dog after him. Yeah. Because they had knocked out the dog is what it was. And then when they're getting away, the dog comes too. And they get in the car. And then the the dog basically attacks the car. It's the yeah. Cujo moment, right? It's so great. It's, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of good moments in that movie. It's like it's like a movie that uh, begins with the end because we see that ending scene first where she's being dragged, and it's also kind of like People Under the Stairs where you have to escape from a house of horrors. Mm -hmm. Great movie, actually. Another one, way better than it should have been. Right. Don't breathe if you haven't seen it. Well worth a spin. Any honorable mentions before we go to break? What do we got, guys? Yeah, we have a seven as our honorable mention. Uh, Let's go rapid fire. Yeah, mainly because like of the way that it was processed. Oh, you mean actually the movie Seven? Seven. Oh, I thought you meant you had seven honorable oh, mentions. No. I'm like, fire away. <laughs> no, uh, the movie Seven with Morgan Freeman actually. So. It's full circle. Uh, full circle here, um, but bunch of dark scenes. I think my two favorite are probably the apathy scene where Morgan Freeman is telling Brad Pitt like he's about to retire. And he's like, no one cares. Everyone's just apathetic. And it's very, like, a deep emotional moment. And they're in this bar that's supposed to be lively, but it's completely dark except mm. for their faces. And then the other one is, like, you know, the iconic, uh, the time when they discover the sloth uh, victim. That's, sure. All the victims gruesome. are gruesome. Yeah. They're all gross yeah. and gruesome. But that particular <laughs> one was 
like so dark and then there's like these dark things hanging from the ceiling and right. then you realize it's air fresheners and that's just un- unbelievable to me and, and it's a great film such a good film is yeah i i had one which was um in light uh in light of everybody just absolutely hating rightfully so on game of thrones um battle scene i just wanted to mention how well uh the night shot for uh harry potter and the deathly hallows part two and the battle of hogwarts was shot you know that whole thing takes place in the dark and that whole battle takes place at night and you can see everything and everything is shot, whether it's outside in the courtyard or it's inside, inside the castle. It's so well done versus what transpired in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And I th- think that that was one that we almost put on our list too, kind of just the contrast between the two major medieval style battles. Um, one for me, not mentioned, I'm sort of shocked. Go. Not worthy of... 17 sequels, but Paranormal Activity, the first one, <laughs> yeah, was pretty good. It was. Yeah. I, I'd give it credit. And then the only other one, not totally dark scene, but the end of Apocalypse Now, when he goes into the cave, mm. and um, you, you get the horrors, the horrors. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have Marlon the, Brando. I'm surprised you didn't have The Descent on your list, one of yep. your favorites. I do love that one. Uh, and I was trying to think of like monsters that don't like the light, and we get that, that tropey scene where you light the match and then there's a monster. You, you mentioned a great one earlier, but Gremlins, does that fit? Kind of, maybe? Anyway, my uh, only other honorable mention was Clue. All the lights go out. A gunshot goes, a woman screams, you hear somebody hit the floor, the lights come back on, <laughs> that's, that's and somebody's a dead. one. Why is that an honorable mention? <laughs> really? That should have been on your list for sure. It's a great one. Oh, it's I would have so had that if I thought about it. That was hilarious. Yeah. I love that moment. Yeah, great movie. Wow. If we missed your favorite scene that takes place in the dark and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at Cinemajaw or write us an email feedback at cinemajaw.com what we're going to do is take a quick break when we come back we have a review of the big hack and trivia kitchen cast movie trivia stick with us let's all go to the lobby in honor of cinema jaws morgan freeman month we celebrate with this clip from the shawshank redemption where freeman has a parole hearing the popcorn can't be beat please sit down Ellis Boyd Redding, your files say you've served 40 years of a life sentence. You feel you've been rehabilitated? Rehabilitated? Well, now, let me see. You know, I don't have any idea what that means. Well, it means you're ready to rejoin society. I know what you think it means, Sonny. To me, it's just a made-up word. A politician's word, so that young fellows like yourself can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? Well, I am. There's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then. A young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. 
talk some sense to him. Tell him the way things are. But I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that's left. I gotta live with that. Rehabilitated? It's just a bullshit word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because to tell you the truth, I don't give a shit. Delicious things to eat. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay. Noticed we've had a lot of new listeners lately, thank you. And lots of people have been asking, hey, how can we help support the show? The best answer I can give you would be to check us out on Patreon, see all the things that you can unlock if you support the show. And at any level, at any level of support, you unlock our bonus content archive. We're adding to it all the time, extra reviews, extra interviews, sometimes just funny stories from us, things that just didn't fit into the normal podcast that we want to get out there and make special for our patrons. So if you're interested, check us out. It's at patreon.com backslash cinemajaw. Great way to support the show and get yourself some extra stuff. And thanks. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Megan Marie, Nate, and Claudia, whose short film, Dear Frankie, is making the festival runs, and it actually had a special screening last week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking a little bit uh, during the break that you guys just screened at an Oscar qualifying festival, so how did that go? It went really, really well. Um, It was called Indie Shorts International Film Festival, presented by Heartland. Uh, we talked a little bit about it at the top of the episode, but basically um, there were incredible filmmakers and incredible films. Probably the probably one of the best selections of films that we've seen during our festival circuit for sure. And uh, the best narrative film, narrative short film, and the best documentary short were chosen and thus puts them into the pile to be uh, nominated for an Oscar. And this past year, the narrative was Brotherhood, mm-hmm. um, which was excellent. It was by a Tunisian family and kind of a Syrian conflict. And then the other one was St. Louis Superman, which is actually an MTV documentary series they're starting to kind of do to go around to different cities and doing uh, little docu- documentaries about I was wondering what happened to MTV. Yeah, they're doing things. They're still around, um, huh? Yeah, and that that one was about a uh, like state representative um, doing a bunch of things for his kind of underserved community, which was really great. But we saw some incredible films, absolutely amazing, met incredible filmmakers, and it was definitely one of the best film festivals that we have seen. And it was incredible to see our film on the same screen as all these. Films. Wow! Congrats, that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. One other thing I wanted to bring up, I think it's uh, Claudia. You have some background in VR. Um, yeah, my undergrad was called telecommunications, so that was basically video production. Um, and then with my PhD, I am studying virtual reality interaction, those kind of things. Do you see like feature film um, sort of? Sh- going in that direction, not fully, but seeing like something like we saw well, in Dark Mirror. Well, don't mention Warhammer. No, I was going to say okay. Dark Mirror did that episode where we were choosing our own adventure. Do you see something going to VR where it's sort of a feature film, but we're in the film? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
It's been a while, but I, I've watched a few short films that are in VR, so they're all just one take with the 360 camera. Um, and it's interesting to see the blend of those two worlds, and it's really cool because it seems like, I mean, there aren't any rules at all. It doesn't seem like there's any standards, and no one really knows quite how to tell a story in that way. So I think that's kind of my goal is to, like, make hopefully make some good videos and get better at VR content creation. And I feel like that's kind of where the field is moving, like combining different mediums and that sort of thing. Claudia, do you want an idea? I just had a yeah, great idea. Sure. Speaking of like in the dark and, and Clue, wouldn't Clue mm -hmm. make an awesome VR movie? That would be You really could go fun. to different parts of the mansion and see where people are when the murder takes place, stuff like that. Yeah, you could, you could potentially be the murderer. You, you could. Yeah, that would be really fun. I you like heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, for the jawheads that want to follow along the film Dear Frankie and maybe see if it's playing at a fest uh, upcoming in their town, where's the best place to do so online? Uh, at Dear Frankie Film, you can uh, DM us, and we can point you in the direction of where to see it, how, where to see it, where to attend, uh, how to contact us, how to ask us about our updates, etc. Do it. Awesome. Before we get to trivia, before mm. we get to our other review, yes. we did throw a few items into the fish tank. Yeah, a couple to a tree. And I know Phil wants to uh, swim up to the top and have some fun. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish. Isn't it? DC, Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me out. We do have a few questions. Were there any alligators in there this week? Uh, does Parker count? Nah, you know, a little bit. He, he's snappier than me, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit. Uh, our first question, does Morgan Freeman narrate in Million Dollar Baby? He does. Uh, his character, Scrap Iron Dupree's, uh, has a bit of a double role in that he's a live-action character as well as serving as the narrator. Uh, <laughs> our next question, what is an alligator's foot called? Uh, actually, I found a couple of things out about this. One, um, an alligator's foot is indeed just a foot. There is nothing. Nothing else. <laughs> no, it is just a foot. Mm. Two, alligator feet are used in the south uh, sort of as a rabbit's paw situation. They are taxidermized and used as uh, good luck charms for gamblers. Gross. Uh, That's the, also the least surprising thing I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, continue. absolutely. Absolutely not surprised. Um, and then three, while I was looking up alligator anatomy, I did also find out they don't have scales. Instead, they have scoots. Um, and I just love the word scoot. I think scoots is just another word for scales, though. I mean, clearly they have scales. Well, all I'm saying is that the article I read made a big distinction. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say scoots. Well, you're going to be wrong. You also wouldn't call it a foot, so. <laughs> um, scoots just sounds too cute for a gator, though, right? That's why I love it. Yeah. Look at you, little scooty. Um... What is the Betty White Alligator movie? Did you say Lake Placid, Ryan? Mm -hmm. It is indeed Lake Placid. Uh, well done, Rye. It came out in 1999. Oh, my gator flicks. And it sits with a pretty 46% run. Mm. Mm. 
when did Pitch Black come out? That was the year 2000. Again, I think you were right on the Nailed head, it. Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, and then our last one was just the story of, of the person getting stuck in the T-Rex animatronic. That is 100% real. During the last three weeks of filming, they shot all of the T-Rex scenes, and the crew setting up the animatronic had to work pretty quickly so that it could be ready. Uh, they had to rubber, they had to glue the rubber skin on, and in order to reach some places, a crew member had to crawl inside the hydraulic system and and work from the inside, uh, during which a power outage occurred and the hydraulics shut off, collapsing every tube, uh, and somebody almost died. So there is a full article that I will send to Matt, and he can put in the show links. It will nice. describe the situation much better, and it is a, a I don't read, and it is a good read. So Well, there you go. So that's what he was doing in the fish tank. I don't know. I don't remember how I came across that fact. Somehow during the research I on the show, and it never came out. So I'm glad that it came out today. Matt, we always end the uh, Cinema Jaw episodes by mm-hmm. saying, you know, if you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review online. Yeah. And hey, somebody listened to us. We got a new review, and uh, we will read them whether they are um, positive or not. This one happens to be kind of a glowing one, Ryan. So I'm happy to read. This gentleman starts off saying, the greatest movies podcast ever. These guys are fantastic. They follow a formula and themes that make every episode fun and enjoyable. The fact that they do not often see eye to eye on a certain opinion makes this podcast all the more entertaining. If you are someone who likes movies, you will love this podcast and it will change the way you watch movies from The Vigilant. And he's from the United States, Ryan. Nice. Yeah. I mean, thank you. That's our goal we, to yeah, sort of change, the reviews. change the way you see movies. So. Thank What's you. Was that everything in the uh, fish tank there, Phil? You know it, Ryan. All right. Jump back in there. Will do. Matt, we have one more review. It's a Netflix movie, is it not? Indeed. The big hack. Ryan, no matter which end of the political spectrum you lean towards, there's one thing we can all agree on. Social media is a powerful and unprecedented tool, some might say weapon, more on that later, that has been leveraged to legally and perhaps otherwise change people's minds around elections. In 2016, this all came to a head when the data firm Cambridge Analytica became the notorious name that it is today. But what really happened in 2016? That is the aim of The Big Hack, a new horror film, I mean documentary, from Netflix. First, Ryan, let me ask you a question. Seriously, what Disney villain are you? Maleficent. What, what do you think your Patronus might be if you were a Harry Potter character? For that, for that matter, are you a Harry or a Ron or a Hermione? Probably uh... You're a Hermione. These seemingly fun, innocuous, and innocent questions are commonly found on Facebook quizzes, and some before 2016 were likely set up by the firm Cambridge Analytica, who at one point may have been the most successful private intelligence agency on the planet. They use questions like these to gather what they brag to be 5,000 data points on every voter in the 2016 U.S. election. And even if you never answered on one of these quizzes, Ryan, because you hate fun like you do, uh, you were likely exposed anyway if any of your Facebook friends answered one of them. I might be a Harry. The, <laughs> the permissions given to these apps by Facebook were staggering. Directors Kareem Amir and Jahane Nujam follow several characters, including the narrator David Carroll, a media professor whose international lawsuit is the main focus of the film. We also meet a couple of whistleblowers from Cambridge Analytica, including Brittany Kaiser, who may just be one of the most dangerous people in the world. 
They are nothing short of fascinating. First, the dock is beautifully shot, and the graphics are very immersive. There are no talking head interviews and plenty of movement, which is very refreshing. It sets itself up firmly in the present tense, which gives you the feeling that the developments are unfolding in real time as we watch the film, rather than recapping the facts of the past. This upped my excitement level, Ryan. The main detraction I would offer is twofold. One, the story of this debacle is still in the process of unraveling, as new evidence was just dumped by Brittany Kaiser yesterday at the time of this recording. And two, it hardly offers any answers as to what's next and how to solve the problem of online privacy and manipulation. It does, however, paint an effective picture of paranoia and gives you the sense of being naked before the internet. Like every purchase, swipe, location, book you read, relationship status, is known, commoditized, sold, and weaponized. This isn't science fiction, as the, foim, as the film points out. This isn't even the future. This is the past and the present. For instance, Ryan, ever wonder what you would look like when you're 70? I got this new app on my phone. Wow. I'm sure I'll still be handsome. Yeah, probably. It sounds scary. You're right. I like how you led that up before the clip. You had mentioned this could be a horror film and not a documentary. I'm scared of the internet at, at these kind of things. Yeah. And, and I'm talking about be. just getting ads, like when I'm talking about something in a room. That's interesting you say that, because at one point during the movie, uh, David Carroll actually says, has anybody ever had the experience where they get an ad and they think that the microphone on their phone must be listening to them? And every kid in the classroom raises their hand. I mean, this is like... He goes on to explain that that's probably not the case, and it's just the fact that these little quizzes have become so good at predicting, and it's not just the quizzes, that's just one way they've gotten this information on us, but they've built such the dossier that they can predict our behavior to the point where it can be manipulated quite easily. It's crazy. It's really scary, man. Really, really scary. So we're really in the matrix. Messed up. And Brittany Kaiser, fascinating person. I mean, scary to, like almost the Julian Assange level conspirator. You just don't know which side this person is on. And if she's completely full of it, uh, the things that she knows and the things that she did will just blow your hair back. It's amazing. Crazy. We breaking this one down further? Yeah, 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 yeah. So something else you wanted to highlight? Um, when we meet Brittany, that's, that's what I wanted to highlight. A lot of documentaries fall into the trap of talking heads, especially when you get a fascinating subject. You just want to spend time interviewing them. But she's in a pool. You know, she's just in a pool in, in her bathing suit. I think she's got a drink with her. She's clearly in some tropical location. She's got sunglasses on. She just appears very, like, almost apathetic and uh, relaxed. It's, a, it, like, very Bond villain-esque. Wow. Like it. A scene that I didn't like as much is when they try to wrap things up. But I think that the story is just so big, it feels kind of clumsy, and there's a lot of loose ends mm. hanging at the end. Need a sequel is what you're saying. Well, we're getting it. I'm, uh, check it out on Twitter. She's still dumping stuff. How about influences? Citizen Four, pretty easy influence. It, it has that feeling like uh, there, but it's tough because Citizen Four, I, I mentioned I've seen a lot of documentaries about the internet. Didn't scare me as much as this movie. It, it'll really make you feel like we're at the end of the world almost. Is there anything that you learned here, Matt? Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Just how helpless we are against social media. So what you're saying is you learned more in this one than you did crawl. Yeah, a little bit more. A little bit more. <laughs> How about a movie poster quote? Yeah, it's be sure to share my review on Facebook. That, that's There's, one of your I'm better ones, Trying to Matt. be clever there. Yeah, yeah. really Thank good. You. How many Jaws? Uh, I'm giving this one a solid three and a half, man. Nice. Yeah, this is 
definitely, I think Netflix has sort of done it. And it did not escape my attention, the irony of the fact that Netflix is also a giant data corporation mm -hmm. that is collecting a, a dossier on our likes and dislikes in the film world. So I thought that was interesting. When you watched it, did you feel more helpless than when you started? Yes, because I'm, yeah. I'm actually in marketing and social media as my trade. Yeah. And I thought I knew a lot of stuff. And it, it just goes to show you how little we all know. Wow. It's scary. Gloomy. It's gloomy. <laughs> but just a hell of a watch. I loved it. All right. Three and a half Jaws. You heard it here. I'll have to check this one out for sure. All right. We'd like to end the podcast with a fun trivia segment. This is the first time I, I can ever remember this happening because we have uh, three guests, Megan Marie, Nate, and Claudia on one side of the studio, Matt got very intimidated. And before well, we started the podcast, he said, hey, what do you think of this idea? Let me call in Phil from the fish tank, and he can be my teammate, so I'm not so intimidated. Right, and we should it mention something like that. Phil has not written the clues this week. No. Because that would make it unfair. He, right. he doesn't know the clues. <laughs> Instead, I wrote the clues, and I sent them into... Uh, a computer, and now I see what's happening here, describing it. Phil has left the uh, fish tank. He's about to walk into the studio. We have Matt's son, Parker, who's going to read all the clues. Parker, can you hear me? Yes, I can. What's it like in the fish tank? Fun. Fun? Well, now that you're there, of course <laughs> yeah. it is. I thought it might be dirty because Phil lives in there when he's <laughs> not doing the podcast. Phil's, look at him, though. He's, I don't know what help fastidious. Phil is going. Now, Phil is over to, to Matt's right. There's now... If I can do the math here, there is now six people in the studio. The most we've ever had on Cinemaja. I know. I feel like we're doing a role-playing podcast. <laughs> if I get confused. Let's get the dice out. We'll see what happens here. It's our own game of Clue. <laughs> because the movie The Kitchen is coming out, who the stars of this, because we didn't go eye for an eye to recap, is Melissa McCarty, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss. Those are the three leads. I'm really hoping I get all the Melissa McCarthy questions. Okay, we're, we're playing kitchen cast movie trivia. It works like this. Eight questions, back and forth. If anybody uh, misses one, there's steals. And if you get hung up on anybody's, uh, on a question, you do have one lifeline. Pitchman Parker, yeah. help me. And Parker has a clue, just a clue to all the questions. They start off easy. Since you guys are our guest, you get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. We definitely want to go first. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way to do it, yeah. Question number one, here we go. In 2013, Melissa McCarty starred in Identity Thief with this Arrested Development star. Jason Bateman. One to nothing. And there goes okay. the Melissa McCarthy question, that's it. <laughs> Team Dear Frankie. Question. Do you know who any of those other actors are, Phil? Elizabeth Moss. Uh, oh, Moss. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she okay. was in Us. She was in Us? I shouldn't have said that. Oh, no. Well, that, that's helpful to me. <laughs> this is going to be your question now, man. This is crazy. Okay, here's question the Us question. Two. Elizabeth Moss pops up er, uh, in this film that came out earlier, earlier this year. It's a horror film directed by Jordan Peele. I would have known that anyway, yeah. Her and Tim Heidecker. Thank you, Phil. They were my favorite parts. All right. Those are the easy questions. One to one. Question three back over to Dear Frankie. Tiffany Haddish starred with Queen Latifah, Regina Hall, and Jada Pinkett Smith in this 2017 comedy. Yeah. I think I know it. I don't know. Tiffany Haddish, <laughs> okay. Queen Latifah, Regina Hall, Jada Pinkett Smith. 
Is it girls trip? Wow, Good dear job. Frankie, bringing the muscle here. This yeah. is big. Question four over to Matt and Phil. Melissa McCarty has a small part in This Is 40, which okay. starred Paul Rudd. And what actress played his wife in the film? It's uh, oh. it's real life. Uh, uh, Closer Judd to the Apatow. mic. Closer to the mic. It's real life Judd Apatow's wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Her last name is Mann. Oh, oh, um, Leslie, Leslie Mann. <laughs> Would you break, Ryan? Jeez. <laughs> All the glass in the fish tanks coming out, water wow. spewing everywhere. Everybody perfect. That is correct. Leslie Mann. Two to two. Question five. That was a back great team two, effort Frankie. there because I knew the last name. He knew the first name. Unbelievable. It's They're great. getting harder here. Question five. 2014, the film Tammy saw Melissa McCarty on a road trip with her grandmother. Who played the grandmother in the movie? What actress? Melissa McCarty and who? You do have a lifeline if you need it. It's question five, only eight questions. I, I don't have a clue. Sorry. Do you guys want a lifeline? I won't, I won't even know. If We're going to save our lifeline for the next They question. are going to save their lifeline. You, we you could, could take Parker a guess, in there. You could throw a guess. All right, should we use our lifeline? Let's just go for yeah, it. Go All right, Parker. Wow, they have changed. We, we changed. Pitch it, pitch it, and pitch in Parker here. Question five: What actress starred with Melissa McCarthy in Tammy? Your clue is: In a car, over a cliff, she goes. Huh? What would that be? In it's a really car, only two potential actresses that could a possibly cliff be. She goes. Hmm. Good clue for Parker being that young to come up with a clue like this. Hmm. He's well-versed, Ryan. Well-versed. I trained him in the arts of cinema. It's a classic film I think he's referencing. I I think he's referencing Rat Race, to be honest, because they go over a cliff, don't they? They, No, maybe not. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know. Did it help you at all? No. Any guess? (laughs) No. Matt. Chance to take a steal here. It was Thelma and Louise that he's referencing. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to either be um, Susan Sarandon or Gina Davis, right? I thought it was Goldie Hawn because I swear to God she was in a movie with her recently. Uh, wait, read it again. What's the question? 2014 uh-huh. Tammy, Melissa Tammy. McCarthy on a road trip with her grandmother. Who it's Susan grandmother. Sarandon. I'm gu- uh, I would guess Susan Sarandon. Would you agree? Sure. Okay. Wasn't that the same plot as the, yes. the Jason nice. Bateman movie, though? She Close. was on a road trip with that She dude? likes her road trip movies. They take the lead here, three to two, and question six is over to Matt and Phil. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sorry, I, now I feel bad I convinced you to use the lifeline. <laughs> Nate's like... <laughs> <laughs> Guys, here we go. Matt, question six. Name the 2018 movie in which Tiffany Haddish starred with aging basketball players, one of which was Shaq. Okay, now I, this is where I would get the lifeline. I don't watch sports movies. I have no Same idea. Here. I kind of remember that premise. It was reviewed but here on the show. Yeah, that doesn't help. By yours truly. <laughs> I had to sit through that one. Pitch, pitch in, Parker. Wow. Let's get pitch a band. back-to-back here. Who, what was the name of the movie that Tiffany Haddish starred in with aging basketball players, one of them being Shaq? Question six. Not Auntie Drew Barrymore. Not... Auntie Drew Barrymore? Mm-hmm. Like A-U-N-T-I-E? Yes. Okay. Not Auntie Drew Barrymore. Who was the actress who starred? What was the name of the movie? Oh. Hmm. What? 
I don't know. I don't, I don't no understand idea. that clue at all. Yeah, that's tough. But I think if you know the title of the movie, well, if it's I knew the title clue. of the movie, <laughs> wow. I wouldn't need the clue. Uh, Uncle. I don't know. Uncle Drew Barrymore. <laughs> un- un- Uncle Drew? I don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Drew was the name of the movie. What? Whoa. Wow. He has blown this one wide open. It's four to two. You guys Thank you, Parker. You're questions. welcome. Nate, did you know that one? Nate was dying. Fun, fun over fact here. about that movie it starred a, a former Celtics player, Kyrie Irving, as right. Uncle Drew. Mm, there it is. All right, four to two. Question seven over to Team Dear Frankie. Elizabeth Moss pops up in. A road trip movie that starred Kristen Stewart and based on a Jack mm. Kerouac novel. Name the movie. Yeah, I really love my lifeline right now. <laughs> Is there a movie called On the Road or something like that? Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, it might, about? it might be. It might be called yeah. On the Road. I'm okay. going with On the Road. I don't know. Wow, they're right That's right amazing. in it here. <laughs> Claudia, coming in. Clutch. That's the only Kerouac Four. book that I could name. So <laughs> yeah. Four to three. Last question of the oh. game. Matt and Phil can w- win it on a walk-off here or give them a chance to tie the game. Oof. Guys, Melissa McCar- McCarthy pops up in this Jennifer Lopez masterpiece. Oof. Wow, those are some words. It came out in 2010 and is about a woman who gets artificial artificial insemination insemination mm-hmm. only to meet the man of her dreams on the very same day name that jennifer lopez masterpiece i don't think it's made in manhattan that's um, as far as so that. jennifer lopez masterpiece right there's only a couple the cell i'm well i'm, I'm using it somewhat lightly here well hey i don't think there's any other For way to fodder. use it the cell right and wedding planner i think it would probably that was her and matthew mcconaughey Oh, no, I was thinking of Wedding Singer. Okay, that explains a lot. Where, where yeah, yeah, she's yeah, a wedding yeah, yeah, planner, yeah, yeah. and I forget how they fall in love, but they fall in love. <laughs> I can't even think of another Jennifer Lopez movie right off the top. You? No. Let's go with Wedding Planner. <sighs> that has nothing to that do is with incorrect. insemination, Matt. Well, Team she, was, she was a loner. has a chance for a steal, and, and to tie the game, Melissa McCarthy pops up in this Jennifer Lopez hmm. masterpiece, came out in 2010, a woman gets artificial insemination, and only that that day, only to meet the man of her dreams. I'm looking at the resident <laughs> J Lo super fan over here. Of course, I can't. Uh, okay, so quick. Okay, so there's like Monster Law. There's Made in Manhattan. There's a Wedding Planner. There's um, there's she's in uh, that Jersey Girl movie, and then she dies. Um, Boy, you do know your J Law. Yeah. Oh, J Lo. Sorry. I saw her in concert. It was epic. Um, <laughs> Shoot, but I can't think of a artificial insemination of it. Um, any ideas, guys? No, no. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, there is one that I'm I'm definitely missing that she did in that time. Um, I'm just gonna guess. Uh, it's gonna be wrong, but it, try, um, <laughs> I'm panicking. <laughs> I am up. <laughs> I don't know. Megan Marie is really struggling. <laughs> wow. I'm like, no, no, let her guess. Just throw no, one it's, out. It's going to be wrong. It's That's okay if it's I'm wrong. None of the films that I did, I said are We guessed right. It's none of those. It's none okay. of those. No, yeah. you missed one. I'm looking at the list, and it's somehow just you just one. missed this one. <laughs> you one. named every single one, but you missed the backup plan. Oh, what? The backup plan. I think half of America oh, missed the backup God. plan. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely not one of her more successful no, films. It's Matt not. and Phil win this one four to three. Dang, guys. Handshake. Yeah, handshakes. Handshake. 
If, look at this. Matt's up literally out of his chair. Wow. Handshake. Good stuff. All right. If I'd like to thank my partner, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great if, team effort. If it came down to a jawbreaker, uh, this question would have been over to Nate. Kristen Stewart, good actress or not? Good actress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. correct. That's oh, yeah. actually correct. Oh, yeah. um, anybody in Twilight outside and, of that and, movie is and good. If we're going to talk Kristen Stewart, her recent, maybe it was like either a year, year and a half ago of when she hosted SNL, that whole episode was amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Re- that was a joke one. The real jawbreaker was this, the age of Jennifer Lopez. And w- now that we have... 50. A- it's, all right, they would have got that one right. Why wow, is she the big five zero? She turned fifty last Wednesday. Yes, and wow. you were at the concert to <laughs> no, sing "Happy Birthday." I did go to her her concert. She literally threw a birthday concert tour for herself, which Why is the most you? epic when I, thing. When I wrote that down as the job, I had no. I had wrote that down as the jawbreaker, having no clue that we were about to meet. Uh, Sorry, J-Lo's biggest fan. All I'm, think, fans? all I'm thinking is that right now, if you knew that, the backup plan must have really sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly wiped that from my memory. Good times. It does bring us to the end of a great job. Aww. And first and foremost, we want to thank our three guests for coming on. This has been a blast. Thank you guys so much Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We're thank really you. appreciative of it. Matt, we also got to thank our engineer, the yeah. man usually behind the glass, but sitting in the studio right now, Phil Me and Phil. Oh, thank you, guys. Uh, as always, it's the best night of my week. I look forward to it. And a uh, good game, Matt. We make Thanks, a good Phil. team. you think we would work together. <laughs> this couldn't have been possible if we did not have Pitchman Parker filling in inside the fish tank, giving out clues. Thanks, Parker. Thank you. He's a great kid, isn't he? He's the best. Puts up with my B.O. Good guy. <laughs> Matt, we also got to yes. thank our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who help us get cool sponsors like them. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Yes, we will read it on the show. And while you're there, please click subscribe. One extra button helps us out a ton. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on jawing about the movies. This is a warning. You have entered the Cinema Jaw Spoiler Lounge. Plot details, character deaths, twist endings, and everything in between will be discussed. Only continue forward if you have seen the movie discussion, or do not care if something is spoiled for you. Again, this is a warning. This is Spoiler Lounge. You heard the announcement. We are spoiling Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Last chance, if you have not seen the movie, turn the podcast off. Here we go, Matt. All right. I am so ready for this. Yes. I finally saw it. So let me give you my quick take on the movie since I didn't have the chance to do that on the podcast that you reviewed said film. Excellent feature here by Quentin Tarantino. On your criticism of sort of too much of the background Mm. noise Mm -hmm. and news clippings, I could see where you're coming from, and also maybe a little bit too much of the, the dr- just driving in the, in the film, because they were yeah. showing off the sets, though. So I somewhat understand that he's got this 
amazing backdrop of old Hollywood, and he wants to use it and show it off. But how many times do they come back to that same joke of him pulling into his driveway with the poster of himself? Too much, yeah. right. I agree. Three a or four times. Too many times. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the ranch scene where Brad Pitt uh, picks up that hippie girl and yeah. drives her out to this old film set ranch where... Pussycat. Yeah, Pussycat, where all the basically Manson gang was living and hanging out, which right. turns out to be true. I looked up, you know, fact versus oh, fiction. Oh, did you go down the Manson rabbit hole? Yeah, so that okay. part of it was all very true. They were living at that ranch. And wow, what a sequence there that Tarantino put together because it's always kind of funny, the movie, you know, from start to finish, these characters are. But it, it actually is creepy and quite tense Whoa, of a scene as well. There's a lot of dread in that scene. Oh, you don't know what exactly is going to happen. I right. thought for sure that the guy didn't exist that he was going to see, who ends up being Bruce Stern. I just assumed they killed him or he's not on the property same, anymore. Same. I wasn't so familiar with the true story that I knew exactly what he was going to find in that room. And then when he walks in, everybody's thinking, oh, my God, it's going to be a corpse and it's going to be smelly and a spider's going to crawl out of an empty eye socket or something. It's going to be gross. But then it was Bruce Stern. It was kind of a relief. The girl who is sort of the leader of that group in there, that's Dakota Fanning. Who, yeah. who looked completely different to me. Unrecognizable. That would that threw me off. And it was one of those where it was just enough Dakota Fanning where I'm like, that's Dakota Fanning. And then like 20 seconds later, I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not her. So <laughs> she, yeah, she, she looked like just enough. I was confused. It was, well, great acting job. Yes. So I loved uh, that scene in particular. And then another favorite of mine was when DiCaprio has his big acting moment. Oh, Yes. Where at the end of the scene, he ends up uh, throwing this young actress on the floor, and they go at the scene, and they're, they're yelling, like, King Lear, like, King Lear, and he's just going for it. And then after it ends, that moment of, he just feels like he's got he it again. He nailed it. He just nailed it. And the director goes and talks to him. But that sequence shows you what a talented actor he is, because you had mentioned the same thing, that he is acting doing acting in the movie, right? right? So you have this, like this moment right before he's about to turn it on inside that scene. And the, the layer there of changing it over to, okay, now I'm acting for the camera inside this movie mm -hmm. was incredible. I love that sequence. I did too. It was it, probably DiCaprio's character, um, Dalton's best moment in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise he was really played for laughs and it was a little too corny for my taste. Like, definitely not my favorite character. Brad Pitt's character, on the other hand, Cliff Booth, every moment he's on the screen is just uh, great. And your favorite scene when we did this film was uh, the Cliff Booth meeting Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. Yeah. However, I would actually say that the joke that's used for the recap of that scene, Right. It, I love that moment Fair when enough. it comes back. Oh, my goodness. Because... He goes up on the roof to fix the antenna. Right. And then it just jumps to this uh, scene of this whole thing of him going to be on set, fights Bruce Lee, throws right. him it's into little, the car. It's a little confusing at first. 100% confusing. And that's what makes that moment so great. Then it comes back and he says, fair enough. Yeah, that's fair up. enough. Because in that moment when he goes up on the roof. That was, my, that was the hardest I laughed in the movie. You almost think in the, in the scene leading up to that where he drops off DiCaprio. Uh, and he, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a little mean to him. And he's like, hey, man, you, you're not on this shoot, actually. Can you go home and fix my antenna? Right. And you're thinking, oh, he's kind of a crappy friend. He's like, well, you can't be in this one because it's the same gaffer as the guy uh, that did uh, Black Hornet. And so then he goes home. He gets on the roof. 
and then that flashback occurs, and he's like, oh, actually, yeah, that's... But we don't know it's a flashback. Right. And that's really the joke, that it is a flashback, and he's like, that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. Wow, is that good. That was um, awesome. The entire cast was great. I thought DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's chemistry was really off the charts. It was just perfect. Perfect. It really was. I, I believed their relationship wholeheartedly. I did. So let's bring it to the end of the film, mm. which is something that obviously we don't want to spoil if you haven't seen the movie, but since you're no, here. No, this is the spoiler lounge. Right, we, 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 we figure they have. And that is, what was he going to do with the Manson murders? And right. And he, he inglorious bastards it. He did. He, he, he rewrites history. Alters history. And in a lot of ways, a movie like this being a film about movies, it totally makes sense because that's what film is, right? We're watching movies where we can make up the ending. Jeff York called it, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah, I think probably once he got to that point in the writing, he realized that that's the only thing he could do. You, you just can't murder Sharon Tate on the screen and get away with it. I don't think it would just be repugnant, but the way he did it is kind of what everybody wanted to happen. And then we right. get to, you know, have the continuance. But is this going to become a crutch for Tarantino? Now, this is the second time, time he's, he's done it. I know, which was that's why my defense with York when we were talking to him that time, I said, I don't know if he'd want to do that two times because he's already done it with Inglorious Bastards. But it worked so well here. And and that last shot, what you see is that that overhead shot of DiCaprio being invited into uh, Sharon Tate's home and they walk in was actually very somber because we, the viewer, know no. that this was a very, you know, this was Hollywood. This is once upon a time in Hollywood. Well, we, he made up an ending. We also know and what really so happened that night. What, what really happened. Yeah. But the violence of the scene where they actually kill the three intruders was so over the top and funny, but I did see some complaints of people saying, well, it's no laughing matter. But I I don't think they, they got the point that we were, that's what we wanted to have happen, like you said, and we were like relishing in the moment of this over-the-top yeah, violence towards the, I gotta, the, uh, yes, the bad guys in right, this case. Right, right. I don't get that criticism at all because that criticism was not levied against him for Inglorious Bastards when the Bastards um, machine gun Adolf Hitler in the face. Everybody's on board for that, so, I mean, why not the Manson family? They're They're, you know, not quite as repugnant as Hitler, arguably, but... Certainly very, very disgusting people that we would all sort of enjoy seeing get their comeuppance. I'm not advocating violence per se, but I thought that that was cathartic. It was earned, and it was okay by me. I don't get that backlash at all. Mm. And I also love the flamethrower coming back out at the end. What a <laughs> yeah. great touch. Uh, that was, if I, right up there with as much as I laughed with the antenna when... when <laughs> To Caprio's reaction to the girl falling into the pool and then coming out with the flamethrower was just just amazing. Right, yeah. I honestly <laughs> thought that DiCaprio was probably going to get iced during that scene. So did I. Like, I was like, oh, well, there, he's dead. Yep. And uh, no, he is not. He goes and he gets a flamethrower. <laughs> I mean, wow. Oh, just that, so, that scene was and, great. And the fact that... Okay, he, he really... Uh, Brad Pitt really channels Lloyd from True Romance in this scene right before all the violence takes place he makes the decision to um smoke a cigarette that's been laced with some some drugs mm -hmm. uh that that he had left at the caprio's house for over a year or so months months and months and uh he's like the train has left the station and we get the idea the impression throughout the movie that this character is such a super badass he could take on bruce lee with one arm tied behind his back but here he is completely out of his mind on on lsd and he still carries off this violence. Mm -hmm. And when he 
gets the trained dog to attack. It's pretty vicious, man. It really is. Uh, oh, and the head bashing against the... Uh, Telephone. And the mantle when he... Mm, I mean... The mantle, yep. Yeah, it is uh, full-on gore. Oh, good stuff. Phil, you also have now seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have. Uh, you enjoying this conversation? You, you, Absolutely. A lot of things that you liked with this one? Absolutely. I think... I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not as high on it as you guys. Uh, I, I do think that the... The pacing is a big low point. Like, they spent a little bit too much time with Sharon Tate watching her own movies. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of little writing notes that Quentin does that really pull it together. Like, my favorite thing, my favorite part of the movie is when is part of the roof scene, but when Brad Pitt gets onto the roof, um, it's just, like, such an obvious thing since he's a stunt guy. Of course he's not going to use a ladder. He, like, jumps on a trash can then <laughs> climbs up on the fence. And then, like, it's a great leaps. touch. It's awesome. That was great. Uh, and then, like, even when uh, 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 Leonardo DiCaprio is, like, recounting the story he, uh, to the neighbors, he was, like, kind of surprised himself that this prop flamethrower still works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're like, well, are you okay? He's like... Well, not the hippies. One of them's burnt to a <laughs> yeah. crisp. <laughs> the way he tells it so matter-of-factly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do want to ask you guys a question. And this is, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler. Um, because I'm not sure on it. Is Do you guys think that Cliff actually did murder his wife? Because they don't answer that. Oh, right. That's a yeah. great question. Yeah, they do leave it very open-ended. And it's, it's funny because I, I, I went and read uh, this fact versus fiction, and they, were, they bring up that character. Is it real or is it based on something? And they bring up the idea of, um, you know, he never explains one way or the other if he mm -hmm. killed his wife. Does that make the character any more empathetic or would you still cheer for the guy? Right. It, it complicates the... The character, for sure. It does complicate the character, which I, I think is good. If it was my, my guess, I think he murdered his wife. See, I was in the camp that he didn't. Because mm. he seemed like such a good friend to, to Leonardo DiCaprio and how much he loved his dog. I would imagine... Well, I agree with that. But they paint the wife in the very brief scene that she's actually on screen as such a horrible person. You know, she's, she's there, she's on a boat, she's with her loved ones. Everything should be great. But all she can do is complain. And she's really, really abusive. So I, I kind of do think he was, he was pointing that direction. I mean, he's got the spear gun pointed right at her. <laughs> he's on a boat in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> She's dead. We know that. And everyone thinks he did it. Well, and because he has that line in the car when he's got the, the girl with him where he's like, um, the police have been on me and I'm, not, I'm says, not going to jail for this one or whatever the line is, something right, like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I can't say the line, but... Uh, because Parker's still here in this. <laughs> but but uh, he's like, I, I ain't gone to, basically, the gist is, I ain't gone to jail for a girl yet, and I'm not going to start because of you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Another nice touch by DiCaprio, the scene that you, you didn't care for so much, and I think it does go on a little bit too much, is when Sharon Tate is in the theater watching her performance. But the nice touch about that is he left it as Sharon Tate in the movie. Yes. I agree. That's but, nice. But let, she, let her performance sort of shine here. But what's interesting is we're watching a movie star playing a movie star who's watching herself starring in a movie. Right. So I'm just going to leave that right where that is. It's really interesting. It is. <laughs> it's, I mean, the layers he put into it, crazy. Did you guys think, um, did you guys notice there were like moments where I think he was letting you know that Charles Manson was stalking her too? throughout that like there's a big scene like the big one that comes to my mind is like there's this really bright red car that pulls up behind her when which is the, the car agent. that's that's his car from pulp fiction that's the red car that that uh, uh john travolta is driving really? mia wallace in yeah yes. see i just thought it was supposed to be 
Charles Manson. Charles Manson. And I feel like there was like a lot of stuff like that where it was like, but you only see Manson once, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I, I he goes to right. the house. Yeah. Oh, they're not there. Which reminds me. So does anybody here have the answer to why the Wikipedia plot entry, at least as of the time that I saw the film a week ago, was completely off base? Did you read it? You probably didn't. Not. So it actually says in Wikipedia, and it may have been corrected by now, uh, that Sharon Tate is trained in martial arts by Bruce Lee, <laughs> and she actually gets in the fight. The Manson family comes and captures her, but she escapes and beats the hell out of them with the martial arts that Bruce Lee taught her. Bruce well, Lee is actually funny. there fighting. It could be like an extended cut because there is like when she's watching herself and like replaying in her own memory. She's doing the karate yeah. moves. Maybe. Maybe he shot that. Maybe that was the original script, but there is a wild, incorrect plot synopsis on Wikipedia. That, that could have been to keep everything under wraps. Maybe. You know, by the studio supply dead or something just to keep it quiet. Could be. I mean, it's it. completely accurate up to the ending, and it still says that they reversed history. Hmm. So I don't, I don't get why it would be different, but maybe. Weird. All right. Uh, any other thoughts? I, I think this has been a really good spoiler launch. No, we spoiled it. Yes. All right. So that's it, for real this time. Until we spoil the next film. Right. But for this podcast, now we've got to bring it to a real end. Indeed. Right. So until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt K. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.